Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so uh, we're going to be talking about church this morning. And um, I don't know what all of your church backgrounds are. I've heard some of those, but some of those stories, but uh, some of you probably know my church background. Um, I, when I grew up, church to me felt really, really boring, generally. It, it, it just did. It felt super boring. My brothers and I were just bouncing off the walls all the time. We needed constant stimulation. And, um, and church was not providing that for us. And so, uh, I routinely was either getting in trouble in church or falling asleep in church. One of those two, two things. And, um, and on one particular Sunday, uh, I grew up in, in, uh, Catholic church. And, and by the way, when I say church is boring, I'm only speaking for myself. Um, I'm sure other people were, were actually able to, to connect, but I wasn't. And I could tell you for sure my brothers weren't. But on one particular Sunday, um, I kind of trained myself that when I was dozing off, I could like bob forward. Like I could do that. But on one particular Sunday, I went into a deep, deep sleep and my head fell back and it cracked against the pew behind me so loudly that everyone within like a 15 foot radius was just cracking up at what happened. And the priest was like, you know, um, my brother, Mike, my youngest brother, he's uh, five years younger than me. And he would get so bored that despair would come over him and he would drape himself over the pew in front of us and just like lay there in, in just complete agony. And, um, uh, one particular Sunday, somehow we were in the very, very front row. And in the front row at St. Mary's, um, there was like a, just a rail in, in front of us, nothing in front. And Mike was, you know, typically, you know, hanging over the rail, just weeping or something. But he kept on kind of going further and further. And I, and I saw him leaning and I just, it just, I couldn't not. And so, <laughs> so I just, helped him over. And he just flipped over, landed, you know, on his back, right in front of the priest. Um, and so we obviously got in a boatload of trouble. Um, not the least of which, because we were all, we were all altar boys. And so we were in trouble with mom and dad and with father Jerry. Um, but those were, for me, those were the most exciting things that ever that ever happened in church. And I, I imagine that you guys, you've got your own stories, your own stories of being in a, a church somewhere and it was uninspiring and nothing exciting really ever happened. And, um, and for those of us that have been through those really, really boring church experiences, I want to tell us that we have actually come a long way. We have come a long way. And what I'm not saying, you guys, actually, is that that things are so much better now here at Thrive than the church experience that we might have had. That may be true, but what I'm actually saying is, is that here, even here at Thrive, things are not yet what they could be in terms of what God's dreams are for this church. God has a church for us that is so exciting, so wonderful, so amazing, so awe-striking 
that we would all kind of go, why did we ever settle for anything less than this? I wish I would have found something like this years and years ago. And God has actually given us a blueprint for the type of church that he created that would be absolutely unparalleled in its beauty, unparalleled in its impact in the world. And so I just want to tell you that if you've ever found yourself uh, sitting in church, even here at Thrive, wondering, could church be more than this? Could church be better than this? I want to tell you the answer is yes. The best is absolutely yet to come, you guys. And we're, we are actually only beginning to taste what God is doing. We're only beginning to taste what he has for us and what church was meant to be. And so, um, as you know, we've been in this, this sermon series in the book of Acts, and, um, and it has been an amazing series already. Um, and and what, we, what we've been doing is we've been learning about what God, who God is calling us to be as a people and also who God is calling us to be as a church. And when we think about the type of people that God has created us to be, when we have been praying about this and thinking about it and kicking it around as a staff, we just keep on coming up with this phrase that we are to be a people who are nothing short of on fire. We are just ablaze with God. And we actually talked about that uh, two weeks ago when we looked at, at Pentecost, right? And, uh, and, and when we think of what it means to be on fire for God, a, a people that are on fire, um, we really kind of think of it, in, it with, you know, in, we've boiled it down to four things roughly. And I'm sure there's lots more, but when we think of on fire here at Thrive, we think of a people who have a vibrant relationship, a vibrant friendship with Jesus, a life-giving friendship with Jesus. We think of a people who are empowered with the Holy Spirit, empowered and filled with the, the person of God in the Holy Spirit. We think of a people, number three, who pour out their passion and pour out their gifts and pour out their talents into the body, into the church. And finally, when we think of a people who are on fire, we think of a people who are missional and they're impactful by, by working to bring people who are far from God, who don't know the goodness of God, don't know the mercy of God. We are a people who work to bring people into a saving relationship with God. And, and even we are also a people who work and give our lives to care for the least and the lost and the poor. That is who we are. That's for us what it means to be on fire. Those are sort of the hallmarks for us of what it means to be a fully dedicated, all-in follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. But this morning, we're going to talk about what are the hallmarks of the church? What are the hallmarks of the church that God designed? And so um, I'm really excited to do this. Molly already introduced our scripture uh, during, I don't know if you knew that I was doing this too, but I love when God does that. Uh, and so, um, we're going to be in Acts 2.42, but you know the timeline, right? So several weeks ago, we celebrated Easter and, uh, Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. He went to, to the cross to die to conquer sin and death and our separation from God and our alienation from one another. And then he rose from the dead and then, uh, he revealed himself. Like he kept on showing up and showing people that he was alive, that he had actually risen from the dead and people were freaking out. And the disciples, they wanted to go and they wanted to share this good news with everyone, right? But Jesus said, don't go yet. I don't want you to go yet because I have a gift waiting for you. And what was the gift that was waiting for the disciples? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, right? And they received a gift of other tongues and Peter proclaimed this incredible message and thousands of people came into a saving faith in Jesus that day. And so now we're at this moment where 
the church is being birthed right now. The church is beginning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what, would, what did it look like? What did the church look like with this little band? I mean, now there have been billions and billions of people that have lived for Christ by this time, right? But then, but then there was only hundreds or maybe a couple of thousand. And so when church began, what was the church that God designed? That's the question that I want us to look at today. And what I, what I, what I hope to do is I hope to... Um, to welcome us, to invite us back into the church that God designed. And so we're going to start in Acts 2.42. We're going to go all the way through 47. And I want you to just kind of put yourself there. Just see the images that we're going to be talking about. And so here's this little group of followers of Jesus. And they're surrounded by, uh, by uh, people that don't know him, that don't believe in him. They're surrounded by Jews. They're surrounded by the Roman Empire. But here they are and they gather. And it says this, this little gathering of people it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together. That's what Molly was talking about. They were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's what Wendy was talking about. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, people out there. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I I have to tell you, I don't know about you, but this sounds absolutely amazing to me. It sounds amazing to me and it also sounds incredibly challenging. This group of believers, they met together every day. This group of believers sold possessions, sold property to give to anyone who had need. This is radical stuff, church. This is radical stuff that we see. And so Luke begins his description of the early church by actually reporting to us what what sort of all of this stuff was built on. And what he says it was all built on, the key, was actually a little word called devotion. Luke says that they were devoted They devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to gathering together. Now, devotion, I hope you understand. Devotion is a combination of love and loyalty. That's what devotion is. It's love and loyalty. And in our context, in our day, we really only use devotion when we talk about family, right? He's a devoted family man. I'm devoted to to our kids. But the first church, they devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to gathering together to be with one another. They devoted themselves in love and loyalty to each other. They shared and gave everything. And I, I don't know how rich in friendship you guys are, but I am not so rich in friendship that I would not welcome anyone else to sign up to be devoted in love and loyalty to me. Right? Like if any of you want to be devoted to me, I'm going to actually pass a sign-up sheet and you can just sign up and you can be on that list of people that are devoted in love and loyalty to me. But that's what this early church had. They were devoted. And so, and so Luke describes this very first church and the hallmark, he says, was their devotion to one another, their commitment to each other, to being together, to serving each other, to investing in one another, to championing It's a hard word for me to say, one another's life. They committed themselves to knowing one another and being known by each other. 
And so then Luke records for us what, what some have called the four pillars of the church, the four pillars of the early church, and it's Acts 2.42. Uh, and he says this. This is Luke's report of what he saw in the first church. And it says this. They, this little group of followers of Jesus that would devote themselves to each other, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I find something really interesting about this. I find it interesting that I think the key that holds all of this stuff together, that sets the table for all of the things that happened in the early church, the things from hearing the teachings of uh, of the apostles to seeing the signs and wonders to the breaking of bread together, all of that stuff uh, was actually the work of this concept that is for us actually really, really nebulous and a little bit outdated and unappreciated. Um, think about the activities that, that Luke was describing. So he says they got together, right, uh, to hear the teaching of the, uh, of the apostles, right? And so do we have a paradigm for that? Do we have a grid for that? Of course we do, right? We come to church to hear uh, a sermon, hopefully a good sermon every Sunday. And then I know that a lot of you guys, uh, that you guys go online and you scour the web for, like, your second favorite teachers, right? Like Bill Johnson and Andy Stanley and Stephen Furtick and Greg Laurie. Those guys are your second favorite favorite teachers, right? Okay. Okay. Get a little here. All right. So we do that. We know all about that, right? We go to our Bibles because we have a value for the word of God. We get the absolute crucial importance of prayer. We pray all the time. We ask for prayer all the time. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure that most of us are praying multiple times a day. We do communion as this sacred ritual, this ordinance that we kind of center church life around here, right? And if someone were to ask you, are you devoted to those practices? You would probably say, absolutely. I am devoted to those things. But right alongside all of those cornerstone practices of our Christian life is this kind of outdated word that we might not have the same perspective about with the other Christian activities, and it's this word, fellowship. Right alongside the prayers and the, and the word and, and communion is this word, fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship. And uh, in the church that God designed, I believe you guys, I want to submit to you that the linchpin for all of those practices was this word fellowship that in the Greek is called koinonia, right? Koinonia. Uh, And that's what they were doing. And what we see is that everything that happened in the first church, all of the good stuff, all of those things happened in the context, in the midst of koinonia, in the midst of fellowship. And I believe you guys that God wants to, to restore fellowship to the church. He wants to bring this back to us in the way that it was at the beginning. Now, koinonia is kind of defined as communion, right? Like we're not only just hanging together, but we are communing together, right? It's having friendship and having a common purpose. We're in friendship together, but it's more than friendship. It's a common purpose, and it is a sharing of everything, a sharing of hearts, a sharing of life experiences. That is what koinonia is. And so koinonia is actually, it's the soil, you guys, out of which all of the amazing stuff from the first church, all of that stuff grew out of this soil of koinonia. 
But the problem that I see in the church today is, is that we want to get all of the amazing stuff, all of the hot teaching, and all the Holy Spirit signs and wonders, and all of the missional stuff. We want all of that without it being birthed in the soil of koinonia. And it does not work that way. It doesn't work that way. It is through this koinonia. That is the seedbed for all of the good and beautiful stuff of God. That's where it all begins. And so I want to I wanna help us to understand the context here, this, these gatherings that we're talking about, because it looks really different uh, than the American church. I'm sorry, I've been fighting a cold all week, so I'm like, I got to keep drinking and just kind of bear with me. So I want us to understand that these little, these faith communities that were springing up in Acts, they were like really, really different than the American church today. Because in our culture, let's talk about what was really like what the most successful churches are in our culture. In American culture, the most successful churches are actually not the ones where we see the most vibrant friendships with Jesus. They're not the ones where we see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit or signs and wonders happening. They're not the ones even where we see the most people, the most, uh, you know, people far from God getting saved. Some of those things may happen in our most successful churches or they may not. But in our culture, the most successful churches are the biggest churches. Hands down. It's nickels and noses. It's the biggest churches that produce the worship music. It's the big churches that write the books. It's the big churches that lead the seminars, get all the hits on the podcasts, do all the YouTube videos, right? That is what is a successful church in our day. But in Jesus' day, the church that he birthed, it looked completely different. These were little bands of brothers. They were little gatherings of people. And they would go to the temple all together to worship God. And then they would go into their homes. And they would just do life together. And they would break bread together. And we're not talking about the ritual of communion necessarily. We're just talking about eating meals in the name of Jesus with one another, sharing life with one another, praying for one another, listening to teachings, all in a me- as a means of bringing in the kingdom of God. That was koinonia. And the reason why we have lost koinonia is because you cannot do koinonia with 15,000 people. You can't do that kind of sharing of life with 15,000 people. You can't even maybe do that kind of sharing of life with 500 people. But you can do that kind of sharing of life with 10s and 20s and 30s and maybe even 40s. That's where we can do this type of, of in, interaction with God or, or with each other. And so I, I think of even Jesus as our example in all things. And Jesus, of course, he birthed all of this through a group of 12, right? And went deep with those 12. And out of that came Christianity. And out of that came a movement that has changed the whole world right? And so I want to invite us and challenge us into a deeper commitment to koinonia in the way that we see it in the Bible. And I know that probably one of the thoughts that is kind of kicking around in your mind, hey, can somebody turn up the air conditioner? I'm a little bit warm. Can somebody like crank the AC a little bit? Thanks. So um, when, when I think about, uh, about this, about koinonia, and when I talk about getting smaller, I know that all of you probably are thinking the words small groups, right? Like you've been a part of this. You've been a part of a small group. And I want to tell you that, that small groups are awesome. I love our small groups, and they're awesome because they bring us a step closer to koinonia. They bring us a step closer to fellowship in the way that God has called us to do that, right? Small groups are gatherings of people. The way that I've seen them done in our church and in other churches is that they're small groups of people. Hopefully they're 10 or 
you know, five to 15 people, something like that. And people get together and hopefully they pray. Hopefully there's, uh, uh, you know, a study of the word or a good book. Maybe there's some worship. Uh, obviously there needs to be some amazing food if I'm going to attend. But all of those components are there and they're good again because they draw us closer to one another and closer to this supernatural thing called koinonia. But I want to say to us that we have not set our sights high enough. We have not set our standards high enough for what these things are. And what we should want are the gatherings that God wants, to, wants for us. What we should want is we should want Acts 2.42 gatherings. We want to be a church that, that God designed, don't we? And so rather than saying, I'm going to be content with Sundays and with maybe a small group expression once or twice a year in my life, I want to challenge us, all of us, to devote ourselves through love and loyalty to what we're going to start calling Thrive Groups. Okay, And that's just a name. But it speaks more to us than a small group. We're talking about thrive groups because God has called all of us to a thriving kind of life. And so rather than being satisfied with where we've all already been, I want to challenge us to enter into what God is doing right now, which is breathing new life into all of us through our commitment to one another, through to use his term, a devotion to one another, to a gathering of a smaller group of people with far higher levels of expectation about what is go- God is going to do in us and through us, through those gatherings. That's what I'm calling us to do. And I want to say to us that I think it's time, you guys, that we gave more and we expected more out of our gatherings. Because the more that we give and the more that we expect, the more that we're going to see God do because this is God's way. And this is God's will and this is God's plan. And I just want to tell you the blessing of being in Koinonia, in having those deep relationships where you do life together. I am in this type of a relationship with some people. And, um, and one of the joys of having this kind of, of fellowship is that there's just never an ask that's too great because you do life together. A couple of weeks ago, um, Molly and uh, the kids and I, the boys and I, we were trying to move this monstrous piece of uh, furniture out of our house. And for whatever reason, I think it was just a long day of work, and we didn't actually get to tackle it until about 9 o'clock at night. And this thing, this behemoth, was getting the best of us, and we couldn't get it out of our house. It was just too much. And so I just phoned a friend. And it was 9.30 at night, and I said, hey, get over here, I need your help. And within 10 minutes, I had a friend over who had gotten out, you know, probably put his clothes on, he got off the couch and came over, and we got that thing out of our house. And was it a big ask? Yes, it was a big ask. And was I comfortable asking it? 100%. 100%. Because we share life together. Because I have invested in him, and he has invested in me, and so there's no ask that is too big. And I was thinking, you guys, I was praying uh, for us and praying about this on the trail uh, last week. Um, and I was, as, I was, as I was walking and praying, a chime went off on my phone. And I had gotten my teeth cleaned this week. And, um, and the, uh, the dentist office texted and they said, would you rate us? And, uh, and I would give them like a probably a good solid four out of five stars or something like that. But, um, but at any rate, as I was praying and this chime went off and I was thinking about that, my mind was with 
the Acts 2.42 church. My mind was with the early church. And I began to think about what it would be like to be a part of a community, a small community of people that did life together, that served one another, blessed one another, that, that everyone just knew what you were dealing with and knew what you were struggling with and spoke into that and cheered you on. People came and moved your refrigerators for you. People, you know, prayed for you. The spiritual gifts were in operation. And when I thought about that kind of a life, I thought, that's a five-star kind of life. That life The Acts 2.42 koinonia life, that is a five-star life. And I want to invite us into that kind of a life, a new kind of a life where we are known and needed and we give of everything that we have. That's the life that God has for us. And that life is a transformational and it is a supernatural and it is a missional life. And I just want to ask you, do you want more for your life? Do you want to have a five-star kind of a life? Have you experienced all that there is of God? Have you experienced all that there is of the church? I know that you haven't. And I just want to speak specifically to those of you um, that are at home. If you have been away from Thrive for a long time because of COVID or because you've simply gotten out of the habit of, of doing life in community, I want to specifically welcome you back. I want to invite you back into fellowship, into koinonia, because this is the, the, a life of vitality. This is, we, we intend to become a church of vitality, and we want our community to have vitality. That's what we're giving ourselves to. And so I want to close by just um, casting a vision for what this could be like. Okay, I want to close by just giving you guys a picture of what church can and will be like. And the good, th- the good news is this, we can have this. This is not some ethereal thing that is out of our control. We can have this church if we want it. If we will devote ourselves through love and loyalty to one another for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God and for the good of our community. So let me cast vision for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Thrive groups are being formed. We're going to come together. We're going to invite you to come into this and to give all of you everything that you have to one another and someone else will pour into you and we're going to see the kingdom of God move and the kingdom of God come in a way that will absolutely blow us all away. Amen? All right, why don't we stand? We're going to pray right now. And um, I just have a sense, guys, that uh, that there is like, there is a spirit of the age that will do nearly anything to separate us from one another. 
there is a literal, um, like a spirit of our culture that will do absolutely anything to keep us from one another. Because the enemy knows that when we come together in the name of Christ, when we come together in the power of the Spirit, anything can happen for the kingdom. It'll change everything. And so um, our culture has taught you wrong. That spirit of independence, that's not God. It's not God. And so I want to just begin in our prayer by just rebuking some lies that have been spoken over us. So Lord, I just pray right now that your truth would just be poured out upon every listener right now. That your truth would be poured into our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to speak and pierce our hearts with the truth of your desire for us and your plan for each of us and your plan for this church for Thrive. And I just pray right now that where we have bought into the spirit of the age, where we've bought into the idea that we can go it alone, where we've bought into the idea that, 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 that like church is all about what we can get out of it, where we've bought into the idea that we can simply consume Christianity. Lord, we rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus. And we just say, Lord, we are following after you. And we are coming hard after you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for just courage and vision for us. Vision beyond what I could articulate or Molly could or anyone else, Lord. I pray that you would give us vision for what you have for this church. And I I pray, Lord, that you would give us such a courage that we would be able and willing and desirous to even rearrange our lives, to change our lives, to shape around who you're creating us to be, what you're calling us to be. Lord, I pray for um, any of us that have felt isolated or estranged from the church. I pray for those of us that find community hard. And I pray, Lord, for just a grace to come. Lord, we know that um, going deep in, in community and doing life together can be messy. And that's actually part of the glory of it all. But Lord, we want to be a people who are nothing less than on fire. We don't want to go through motions anymore. I pray too, Lord, just that as some of this is in our future, I pray that you would just find the right gathering of people. I pray that every person in this room, every person at home, that they would find a group of people that fits, that blesses them. I pray that we would be a blessing in return.